The street is where we create. We call it suburbanpreneurship. Mixing big company resources with an entrepreneurial spirit. This is Electric People. Electric People, it is good to be back with you for another very interesting conversation on principles of life and success and people that are making waves in this world and in their respective industries. This week, um, we actually did the interview in Austin, Texas with Adrian Grenier. Most people would know him. He's a famous Hollywood actor uh, for his time on Entourage. Entourage ran for, I think he did 100 episodes. It was a 10-year run where he played Vinny Chase. Uh, Really dynamic kind of Hollywood, larger-than-life personality. He's done tons of movies. Even up until recently, uh, he's been involved in, you know, Netflix specials and things like that. Um, and honestly, just kind of involved in the art all around. Uh, grew up in the arts and has spent his life dedicated to that. And this story today, if, you, if you've been following Adrian at all, over the last couple of years, he's had kind of a soul awakening where he realized the path that he was on was not the most healthy path for him long term and did some soul searching, did the work, went through the pain, and is experiencing the joy of kind of a renewable life. Said goodbye to Hollywood and mended some relationships and is developing a ranch property, a beautiful ranch property um, out in Texas. So in this episode, he tells the story of what led him to kind of a renewable, sustainable life. He talked about, um, you know, kind of the the wins and losses of becoming a farmer after being a city-born actor for his entire life. Talked about his mindset, his new set of mentors, and the path that he's on now. It's awesome. I mean, being in the solar industry and 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 you know talking to a lot of people, it was really inspiring. I kind of looked at it like, wow, like props to Adrian Grenier for seeing a different path and for braving it and for taking it, even though a lot of people may not understand it. So. Please sit back and enjoy this episode with Adrian Grenier. We're here at your ranch in Austin, Texas, just outside of Austin. And um, as I was driving off the main road, I noticed the the letters above the gate. You have another sign. How do you say it? Kintsugi. Kintsugi. Yes. What does Kintsugi mean? Kintsugi is the Japanese practice of mending broken pottery with gold. And it's the philosophy that that which is broken can become whole again um, and more beautiful. And it's a, it's a story of resilience. It's a philosophy of be, becoming anti-fragile. The more you break it, the better you get type mm. thing. And I think that's, um, that's not only a personal story for me and my wife who spent four years together, we broke up. And then after two years, we got back together and got married. But it's also my philosophy, our philosophy of how we're approaching the land. A lot of um, misuse, abuse, um, malpractice of, of farming and pesticides, herbicides, and just a, a, a general um, exploitation of the planet. Um, and we can lament that and cry in a corner, or we can put it back together and make it more beautiful and, and, and heal and come back together and um, that's sort of how we're approaching this land project, our, our relationship, ourselves. You know, we're, we're all special and unique because we've been broken. Uh, humans are innately anti-fragile. In order to grow muscles, you, you, tear, you tear the muscle. Mm-hmm. Tear, repair, tear, repair, and that's how you get stronger. And it's the same with the, the human spirit. The thing I've liked as, you know, we came into to contact with you and as I've come to know your story is the level of intention with which you seem to live, right? Like, I mean, even to like, you know, it's not just a, a house kind of off the beaten path in Texas. You've, you've kind of like, it seems created a world for yourself um, and decided how you want to live and how you want to grow and experience the next phase of your life. It's, it's almost like a I feel like so many people just wind up in a house that kind of works and they just live their life day to day and things like that. And I think um, it's probably interesting for a lot of our guests to hear, oh, Adrian Grenier is on the podcast today. We got Entourage, we got Movie Star to all of a sudden 
be introduced into the way that you're you're living now. Um, so maybe take us through what made you decide to kind of leave Hollywood and create this next chapter for yourself. We're storytellers uh, by nature, I think. Uh, and the question is, whose story are you telling? Mm -hmm. Uh, especially being in Hollywood, being an actor, I've for so many years told other people's stories. And these become memes and ideas that permeate culture and inspire people to behave in a certain way. It, it influences culture. Um, entourage, for example. I mean, I can't tell you how many people have come up to me and said, I became an agent because of you, you know, or that has to be so, sorry to cut you off, but that has to be so weird for people to think they know you because of the person that they watched on HBO for 10 years. Yeah. And that's not you, but people have a relationship with you coming in their TV into their living room with their friends and family for so many years. Like that has to be crazy energy coming at you, right? Oh yeah, definitely a lot of um, randos. <laughs> I'm sure. In my sphere, but you know, I, I, I don't mind. I, uh, I, I find it to be, um, you know, a compliment that a job well done that mm -hmm. we've been able to enter people's psyche, their hearts, and make them believe in something. Uh, the the show is so, um, it was so visceral. It felt so real. It felt almost like a documentary yeah. in some way. Yeah, it was one uh, of like the first kind of like almost call it a lifestyle show where it seemed a little less polished. And you watch it, and it's like these guys are just kind of hanging out. Mm -hmm. Like you almost wonder how much of it is off script because it seemed so. Yeah. 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 And, and I think it was the casting. We're all New Yorkers. Mm. Um, so it just, it just worked really well. And the writing was, was sharp, but it was, um, it was natural as well in the way it was shot. Um, verite, you mm -hmm. know, a little bit of movement in the handheld. And we did a lot of oneers. Oh, really? So if you look back, you'll see that there are, we would do two or three in an episode where it was just one shot. Mm -hmm. And those were sometimes the most difficult because we do three or four pages, sometimes more of dialogue in a single take. So one of us makes a mistake, you yeah, know. Run it all the way back. Right, right exactly. So um, I think all of those elements contributed to a very, um, authentic vibe. And that's how, I think that's how you influence people is by, uh, making it feel familiar to them, making it feel like, you know, they aren't just watching a show, but they're watching their friends or, mm -hmm. um, that it's, it's very personal to them. And so just understanding that reality that sometimes as an actor, you're, you're for hire and you're telling someone else's story, but what kind of ideas are being projected? How are you influencing society? How many agents do we need <laughs> in the world? Uh, how many more celebrities? You know, a lot of people, they see that show and they fantasize about becoming a celebrity. Yeah. Um, but, you know, what, well, what, what else can we, what kind of stories can we tell? And not only what stories can we tell, what stories can we live by? You know, we all, I think, have an opportunity as individuals to tell our own story. And either we're going to adopt a pre-established idea that's told to us through popular media, movies, TV, or the stories that your community is telling you you ought to be or you should be or how things should be, you know, the American dream being a story. Um, or you can decide your own story and make an intentional decision about what role do you want to play in human history to create, I mean, your one life, to take your one life, arguably maybe, to actually manifest the greatest storytelling of all time, which is your life. Mm -hmm. So you were, you were how old when you took the, the job on Entourage? Uh, 27, 28. Okay. So during that time, and you're playing such an iconic character. Well, we didn't know that at the time. At the time, yeah, right. Yeah, I, I it, made sure that it became you, you iconic. You created an iconic character. <laughs> How's that? Um, you get lost in there? Like, is it hard to separate, like, your sense? I mean, being so young and having so many lights and then getting so much feedback from other people, is it hard to know, like, where Vincent stops and where Adrian starts? Naturally, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, that, 
that is what actors do is they um, I think people assume that you're playing a character, but mm -hmm. I, I see it more as you're letting the parts of yourself that are the character shine through. Interesting. Because we are, you know, as much as we think we are who we are, singular yeah. identity, you know, contiguous over time, like, oh, you know, there's Jimmy, the same as he was yesterday, the day, the day before. But I think we all at a certain point decide who we're going to be. And then we start performing that personality at a young age. Think about like, do you ever, um, when you went from eighth grade to high school and you're like, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm going to high school. This is like big time. Yeah. I'm not going to wear these, you know, these kicks anymore. I'm going to wear these new shoes sure. or I'm going to change my style because totally. no one knows who I am. So I can make a total departure and really embody a new personality. Yeah. Um, it's, it's because you have permission to be another version of yourself. And then you're, we're always experimenting with, oh, I'm gonna change careers, or I'm gonna d try something new, or mm -hmm. change my haircut, whatever. But so, I believe we have all the different versions within ourselves, and for me, acting is just uh, letting that part of the, that is the character, that is honest to the character, that is true to that particular story, um, come through and then you do it for 10 years it becomes very familiar then you meet people on the street who give you accolades and approval for the character and you can't help but maybe play the character a little bit I'm outside sure. uh, offset you know mm -hmm. so yeah it became a little bit of uh, a habit and became um yeah I, I had to un un i had to re member who I really wanted to be ultimately. And it's not a Hollywood guy. The, um, I read this book once called no angel, if you ever heard of it. And it's about this guy, they call him Jay bird. And he, he's an undercover police officer and he infiltrated the hell's angels motorcycle gang. And no one had ever done that before. Like they keep it super tight and he had gotten all the way into like the senior ranks of the right. hell's angels. Yeah. It's a dangerous place to right. be. And what do you have to do to prove yourself? Right? I know. Right. And so, I mean, cause they have all these tests and things like that. So he, he anyway got fully immersed and, um, everybody would tell him, Hey, don't lose yourself in there. Like, don't, don't get lost. And he's like, I'm not going to get lost. These guys are criminals. Like I'm a police officer. I know who I am. <laughs> and the, the, the book tells us one story of one day he was driving home. This is in Arizona and he, he's undercover so he's in full hell's angels gear he's got his cut you know his vest on his bandana he's got two guns under his like armpits and he's just feeling it he's just riding and he's like i'm a bad dude anyway he pulls into his house <laughs> is this fiction no it's true oh it's a true story, yeah, it's a true story. <laughs> pulls up to his house and his wife sees him they got kids and stuff in the house and at home your dad the police officer you know and his wife like saw the contrast and says don't ever come home like that again and in his head, he didn't realize he had gotten like so far off yeah. the beaten path. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's seductive. So, it's, it, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. And so I'm interested because, you know, you mentioned that you at some point you decide who you want to be. But I don't know if everybody, I mean, I think maybe you do subconsciously. But I don't know if most people that I know have a story like yours where you looked at it and were able to say, Am I on the right path and who well, do I no. want Well, no. I mean, be? I was very much lost in the That's stories right. that were giving me that immediate gratification, that reward, that positive feedback from yeah. people, from girls, from, you know, whatever. And I think most most of us um, start out just, just absorbing what we need to for survival purposes. We need just, mm -hmm. we just need to get through high school, man. So I want to like yeah. make sure I don't get beat up yeah. or make sure that I have the, the right kind of friends. And then you, you grow up and you're in, you're in, uh, you know, the sort of corporate game and now you have to climb the ladder there and you're just trying to please your boss. And, and at a certain point you realize, what am I living my life for? Yeah. Who am I living my life for? If it's not a higher purpose, God, you know, something, you know, a higher order of being, you know, your dharma. I think you're, you know, maybe that's like a rite of passage to finally grow up enough to realize, oh, I don't have to do it for anyone else. I have to do it for myself mm -hmm. or I get to do it for myself. And then that's the hard part is now what do I do? What, what do, what do I want to do? And it, and to be intentional is sometimes difficult because it's, there's risk to it. When you're playing 
someone else's fiddle or another show tune that, you know, someone else wrote easy, right? And people might like it. So you get some applause for that. But when you're doing something that is uniquely you and authentic to you, what if, what if no one shows up? Yeah. What if they don't like it? What if you fail? There's no one going to tell you how to do you because only you can do that. So it, there's a certain amount of uh, courage I think it takes to do that. And um, yeah, and I'm so glad that I took that leap. And I, I went through a very dark period of brokenness, yeah. of you know shedding all of the the projections, the identities, the you know the things that I thought that I was, strip it away, clean slate, and be like, okay, now pen to paper, what am I going to be? So what does that awakening start to look like? Like, are you just noticing like steadily? You're like, you know, I've done this for a while, or the accolades don't feel the same as they used to, or are you more aware and being like, Hey, something's wrong. Like how do, how do you go from living kind of in this world to recognizing that for yourself, you probably need to go a different direction? Yeah. I mean, it's a rock bottom in which you, I mean, there's various ways you can hit rock bottom, but for me, I had a breakup and, um, I realized that if I continued along this trajectory, I was going to die uh, old and alone and pathetic. <laughs> this is the person that broke up with you. Yes. Did you see this or my, you? Yeah. My Kintsugi girl. Okay. Yeah. 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 She, she says, by the way, I'm leaving you and you're going to die cold and alone. Well, cause I had this inflated perception of myself. Yeah. I was, I was cool, man. Yeah. I was cool. You know, I was on entourage, man. Yeah. I had money. I had, I had yeah. houses, uh, you know, and I was getting into like, you know, real estate investment and, and I was an environmentalist, you know, I was, <laughs> you know, I thought high yeah. of myself and she, she could see through it. She saw through it. She saw that I wasn't playing to my potential and that I was, um, and not only was I not being the best I could be, I was actually doing some badass, you know, not so, uh, ethical things just for my own indulgences. Um, drinking too much, partying too much, too many women, you know, all that stuff. And she called me, yeah, she called me forward and said, I'm, I'm out. You, you, you know, you, here's a, she basically sent me a list of things that I should probably take a look at and left. And that really sent me into wow. a crisis of, of conscience because I, I thought we were going to get married. I thought we'd be together, but we couldn't have been together the way I was. So it took me two years to unlearn, shed, like basically let go of all the things that I'd become familiar with that had given me comfort for so long. I went to a psychic and she, she basically went into a trance and summoned all of my guardian angels and my guardian demons into a, into like a big boardroom. And, and you're just sitting there. I'm sitting there. I'm like, <laughs> like, what's this, this, what's real? this all about? Right? I'm yeah. like, I don't know if I believe it. And I she, actually, I heard though, like, uh, you're friends with Chase Jarvis. Yes, right? yes, of course. And I heard I heard you say on his show that everything works, like, if you kind of let it, right? Like, right, yeah. Well, it's information, right? Okay. And if it's part of your story, you know, you can use it to help guide or inform your decision-making in the world. Um, but, you know, look, I, I was sort of in a, in a moment of, I'll try anything, yeah, you know? Totally. And I'm just curious. Uh, I was doing... I was reading a lot of different philosophy, exploring religion and spirituality, which like I, I'd never done before. You're doing the work. Doing the work. Um, went really, really low to the ground, reading um, uh, Dark Night of the Soul, as they, as they call it, yeah. where I'm just facing my demons. And quite literally, so she, <laughs> if, if y'all don't believe this out there, that's fine. I didn't <laughs> quite believe it myself, but she went into a trance and she's like, okay, so when you were a young kid, you called in all these demons to protect you. And they've been here for 30 years, but I think you're a little old now. You don't need them. Do I have permission to dismiss them? And I was like, yeah, yeah, sure. Go ahead. She goes, okay. And then she's like in a trance and she's like talking to these, these dark forces that are essentially supposedly around me. 
Your entourage. My entourage of, <laughs> of like guardian demons. Yeah. And she says, okay, you know, I dismiss them. They're gone. You're on your own now. And when she said that, <laughs> I was, I was suddenly like, w- w- wait a minute. Like m- yeah. maybe I, maybe I do need them. What do I do now? What, like, I didn't know what that meant, but it meant that I was truly sovereign and that I had to start making my own choices. So whether it was real or not, like it landed for me, like I'm on my own. Yeah. So she represented that they're your, your, your indulgences, your ego, like the things that, that you turn to, to not face. Right. I mean, maybe it's a a symbolic thing. I mean, if they're real or not, who knows, but it landed for me that you are no longer reliant on other subconscious things that are allowing you to just coast by and, and let other things other people other parts of yourself you know do the dirty work while you misbehave it's time for you to get clean and step up your game and be fully absolutely sovereign and responsible for your choice making tell me if this resonates i when i thank you for sharing that that's (laughs) the one thing i appreciate about you is you're so honest like you're like you're so open with your story and i think that's the only way you can really like help people you know what I mean like you have to be open and transparent and then people I mean as I hear your story I'm like I wonder what stories I'm telling myself but um for I turned 40 last year and my wife got me this surf trip to Indonesia yeah 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 it was the most amazing thing so we traveled out there the whole from driveway to first wave was like a 60 hour travel I mean we're on boats we're in little taxis we're on airplanes flying all over the place and when we get out there, we're in the middle of like the Mentawai kind of islands and we're on a boat with a skipper and a bunch of surfers and that's it. No internet connection or nothing. And for the, we're out there for almost two weeks and my first like week, my brain was really frantic. Like my lizard brain was like, mm-hmm. I need to check my phone, but there's mm-hmm. no internet connection, but I found myself like doing it and then mm-hmm. I'd hit the Instagram mm-hmm. button. It wouldn't work. And then I'd be like, okay, read a book, read a couple pages of a book, watch a movie, whatever. Like I noticed, I'm like, my brain is so jumpy yeah and then you know should i check my text should i text a friend like what should i do um and then we would surf and then we'd be in the water and then we'd like this this skipper would take us around to like different tides because he knew exactly what the moon was all these kinds of things right and at about day seven i noticed like a difference in my brain it it slowed down right Mm -hmm. and then by the end of the trip like day 11 or 12 i would go days without even like knowing where my phone Mm -hmm. was it's just in the cubby somewhere like on the boat. And I was like, when I came back, my wife was like, how was it? And I was like, I think my brain was like healing, yeah. you know? And I know you had a more extreme version of that with the trailer and, and you know, the psychic I believe told you get in the dirt, right? Was well, it yeah. I mean, I was that? unplugging from, you know, decades of yeah. habits and, um, but, but does it feel like that a little bit? Are we like speaking the same language of oh, like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're look, the matrix is a very, uh, useful, allegory you know to sort of describe how we're all totally unconsciously plugged into a system of thinking and then when you wake up you're just like you know suddenly now you got to get clean and look at the real world yeah um and that's yeah i mean all these things dopamine hits all over the place porn women uh parties alcohol sports i mean you know all, all the things that you use to numb yourself or to escape or not to not be present in the moment. And what you experienced when you went out into nature was what I call, just coined it, the earth speed effect. Yeah. Where you got into the cadence and the rhythm of the earth, of nature. All of the man-made things are, are like giving us permission to check out and to not be in that rhythm. Um, they're all mediated for our consumption, our pleasure, our distraction, uh, to, to boost our ego so that we feel safe or powerful as opposed to nature, which don't get like, it's right. like, you're here, you know, you're, you're a guest, right? You're, you're like, a guest, right? So it's an egocentric perspective versus an ecocentric perspective. When you hmm. get into the rhythm and the, 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 uh, relationship and, and when you find place in the complexity of nature it can be overwhelmingly scary and um it can be daunting you know to look out into the abyss of space and be like holy shit right but also 
when you recognize that you're in connection with the trees and the flowers and the ocean and all the things, suddenly you feel at home. If, if you give yourself permission to relax and be in, in, uh, in, I think your rightful place with, within the whole, um, you know, with all, within all, all of nature, there's so much loneliness in our culture, so much disconnect and, uh, people are, feel isolated and, and I think it's partly because we've been more and more separating ourselves from our rightful place in nature. It's a really powerful thought. I was thinking about, um, like if you go camping, you'll notice that like when there's no TV to watch or no lights to turn on, you're tired at nine thirty, yeah. right? And then even if you're like a late riser, a lot of times you wake up at six, six thirty mm-hmm. when the mm-hmm. starts to get hot on the tent, you know, and you feel amazing, yep. right? Um, I want to get into Earth Speed because um, I love that concept, and I think that it's weird. I was talking to my wife when I got here, and I was like looking around at the property. And the thing that I think you can tell me if you get this from other friends or people that maybe knew you in your, in your, you know, your, your Hollywood life, but I think in, innately and intuitively, we all kind of understand this, right? Like my parents are from a small town. My wife's parents are from a small town. And whenever I drive through small towns, I always like pause and I'm like, I could do this, right? Like there's something like that we just understand about it. But then you start to second guess and be like, what do you do on a Friday night? And like, what if like, where do you get your groceries and where do you get your clothes? And like those things like pull you out of it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So how, how do you start you, to panic? Yeah. So how did you find like your earth speed and like your, your, your sinking with it? So you talk to this, you kind of have this awakening, you have your dark night of the soul that says, okay, I need to probably heal and get back connected. Mm-hmm. But what happens next? Yeah. Uh, well, society and particularly, uh, capitalism, I think, um, has an, inv- an a vested interest in you being separated from yourself so that you have a need so that you don't have everything you need right because bananas grow on trees they're free yeah but if someone is holding the bananas and you want one you need one then they can sell it to you mm-hmm. um and that's just how the, our whole society has been built where our needs our our uh the deficit within us is constructed in order for us to be consumers so that the economy can roll on and people can make money. And it is what it is. Mm -hmm. Um, So how do you get off that? How do you start to find that you don't need anything? It's partly a spiritual pursuit in which you, you know, ground yourself into yourself and on the earth when you realize everything I need is right here. Mm -hmm. And that's a little bit abstract in a society where, you know, when it comes down to it, do you have a banana tree? (laughs) Well, maybe you learn how to grow one. Sure. Do you have food that you can access? Do you have water when you need it or do you need to go buy it from the store? So that's really what my journey has been, not only back to self, the philosophical self that recognizes that I have everything I need. And I, if, if I just breathe into that reality and that I feel comforted and, part of a community on earth, but also that I can build the skills and the capacity to take care of myself. And I'm not for want so that I don't have to cede my power to corporations or, or, uh, the, the supermarket or the banks, mm-hmm. because one thing that COVID taught us is centralized systems are extremely unstable and it's a house of cards in many ways that, could if if everybody stops to believe that they need stuff from other you know from these corporations it could start to fall apart so i i just chose to start to find sovereignty and self-reliance and lean into my ability to be anti-fragile and learn how to plant and grow and by the way these skills very easy and accessible, but also they can be challenging because yeah. they are unfamiliar to the way we've been raised. You know, I, I, it's, I'm learning every day and I'm, and I'm just allowing myself to make mistakes so that I can learn these skills. Um, and, you know, getting solar is part of that 
sovereign, independent next step. And um, because, yeah, I mean, I, I do want electricity. I don't want to be, I'm, it's not like some Pollyanna vision of us all living in caves. Right. You know, it's, it's how do we create new systems of independence and sovereignty and community that make us feel uh, connected, that give us all the things that we need uh, without working 10 jobs. And um, yeah, and I, and I think that I choose to be a, a pioneer, I guess, and experiment and try new ways of community to explore new forms of personal governance within the community. How do we deal with conflict resolution without having to call the authorities all the time to figure yeah. it out for us, but really just start to, you know, um, make choices that are fully our own. It's a beautiful thought. Um, and I love the idea of kind of the way you explain, because I have to ask or think, are there people like your friends from, from acting and stuff that when you said, Hey, I'm going to go like live in the dirt. They're probably like, Adrian, you're crazy. Come back. I mean, I bet you were getting offers and things like that. Like there's probably those that really don't get it. Mm -hmm. And then there's probably those that, that do like, I know that like just thinking about like th this job and solar attracts a lot of like-minded people and you hear a lot of content from people, but like I, McConaughey went and lived in a trailer for like two years, just mm -hmm. kind of off on his own one extreme to another. And you know, Edward Norton's like a massive environmentalist and doesn't own a car and is like super intentional with, with how he lives. Um, have you gotten that on both sides? Have you gotten people that are like, you're crazy. What are you doing? Like hauling water. And then other people that are like, I wish I could do what you're doing. Have you seen both? So a lot of my friends growing up or, you know, from Hollywood at first were, um, concerned. <laughs> thought you'd lost your mind. <laughs> well, and I had, and yeah. I had to, you know, yeah. I had to lose myself and do extreme things. Like I, I mean, living in a small camper on, you know, behind the garage of a, a small bungalow on the east side of Austin with literally like the, it was basically just a little piece of dirt and I'd come out and I just had a little fire and I would just work on the earth there. Um, yeah, people were concerned, you know, oh, you, what, you don't have a, a stove and a kitchen. How are you cooking? I'm like right on the fire. Oh, you, you know, like <laughs> the, it, it was concerning. Right. Yeah. And for some, it must have been from one moment to the next. You're on top of your game and then you're on like a little dirt plot in a little tiny trailer. Well, and not to mention, I called my agent and I quit. You know, I, I was like, I'm not acting anymore indefinitely. You know, I'll call you. Don't call me. And um, and, <laughs> you know, I, I, I basically I had three, four businesses going. So like I started to close those down. So I had no obligations, no external needs. I didn't have to be anywhere. I wasn't traveling like I, I was every other week. And you're not in a relationship at this time. I was, I was single. I was celibate. You know, I was like swearing off. I, I wasn't drinking, all the things. And people were like, who, like, this is so far <laughs> from who we've known yeah. for so long. Because yeah. I'd presented this self that they got used to and that they were, they had incentive a vested interest in me being because it served them in some way or they were familiar with it. So yeah, people were concerned. Um, but I had to do what I had to do. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, I went, I was like, and I've, I've come this far, so I got to go all the way now. I got to see what's on, on through that door, you know, that, that scary door at the top of the stairs or whatever. I had to look at myself and, um, and yeah, I, I think those, so speaking of those people, they were concerned at first and then many of them, um, didn't join me on the ultimate journey. They wanted to stay where they were yeah. and I was no longer serving them. Um, and we're, we don't speak much, but I'll tell you, um, then the pandemic hit and everybody had to get locked down. And for me, I'd already been doing this. I was like, Oh, perfect. Like, I'll just keep doing what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. Whereas everybody else was resistant and in yeah. panic because they weren't doing it intentionally. They were forced to do it. Whereas I had already made that decision. So the pandemic, I mean, 
it was a it was just more opportunity for me to go inward and to reevaluate my life and to do the work that I was doing. And it it became um, a permission slip. So I was like, okay, I'm really just waiting for instructions. You know, I'm here just doing my work, head down, unlearning and, and rebuilding my psyche to have more skills, to be more of service, to be stronger, to be more resilient so that when the time comes, I can serve. And that's what happened. The pandemic, through the, the pandemic, I realized I'm going all the way with, with this land stuff. I'm going to be in the earth. I'm going to get some land and, and be a laboratory for what's possible. And many people that I'd met said they wanted to do that as well. And I invited them. And when push came to shove, they just... Yeah. It, it's easy to say you want it. It's easy to have the fantasy of, of it, but to actually do it is a whole nother. It's work. It's a yeah. lot of work. It's Menial probably, labor. Yeah, like I, who, people are conditioned to shy away from having calluses on their hands or, you know, do backbreaking work in the blistering sun in the middle of the summer. People don't want to do it. And I totally get it, but that's, that's the cost. That's what you do for salvation, for getting into the speed of, of, of nature um, you, you meet nature where it's at. You, you know, we had a party here the other day and it was an earth speed party and it was going to rain. And so we were like, well, we're going to cancel it. Are we not going to cancel it? And he's like, no, we're going to keep the party going. Sent out a, it's hard to cancel an earth speed party for weather, right? Well, like, right. Exactly. Like what the earth is doing, you know? Exactly. So we sent <clears> out a message and we said, you know, we are going to meet nature where she's at. And whatever happens, rain, sun, shine is going to call us forward to be closer and to learn how to be in relation to her. And, and, and I think it brings us closer to each other as well. I mean, huddling under umbrellas might be an intimate opportunity for us to, you know, mm-hmm. rub elbows and smell each other's hair. I don't know. Yeah. Get to know each other a little bit more closely. It's, it's interesting because it's probably not, I don't know what your life was like developing your, your skills and opportunities as an actor, but it's probably not dissimilar. Like I'll bet people were like, man, I wish that I was in all these movies and I wish that, that, but you, but when it comes down to it, do you really want it? Because it's probably a lot of rejection. It's probably Mm -hmm. a lot of time like reading and memorizing by yourself. It's probably going to a lot of classes, getting criticized, right? Like I don't know, you tell me, but in a lot of ways people want the outcome. They want what they see, right? But beneath any like desirable or impressive outcome, there's a whole lot of unsexy stuff. There's a whole lot of, you know, and this is like a real metaphor for it, like a lot of dirt under your fingernails and stuff, because literally, but it's probably like anything, right? Like anything meaningful, you've got to actually get in there. And probably when you look left and right, there's very few people that are actually, that actually really want that. Right? Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess it's a language thing. You know, a lot of times people would come up to me and be like, "Oh, you know, how how do I um, how do I do what you do? I want to do what you 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 know. I want to be just like you." And I'm like, "Well, do you want to be an actor or do you want to be famous?" You know, there's a distinction. Mm-hmm. Do you just want the reward or do you want? Because if you want to act, like you you know, regional theater, like off 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 Broadway, yeah, you can act you know, at home and put it on your, your phone and now you're an actor. What do you actually want? What is inside of you that's motivating, you, you know, your, your decision or what you want? Um, and these are the questions you, everyone, I, I, you know, I would encourage everyone to ask themselves first, like deep introspection and learn yourself so that you know what's motivating you. So that you know what you actually want, mm-hmm. what's pushing you forward so that your actions can be in alignment with your ultimate passion, your ultimate, um, you know, um, yeah, like what's at, at your core. It's interesting because like, you know, you talk about bringing yourself to the character you played on Entourage, but it reminds me of that scene where, uh, you know, Jeremy Piven's like, do you want to be an actor or do you want to be a movie star? Right? right. Like it's kind of the same thing. It's like you have to get clear on what it is mm. you want. 
You That's know? right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I've, I've learned so many lessons from Entourage. Well, everything is like and, everything. And don't I forget say that, right? Like I, sometimes I find myself to be like, am I, am I actually making my own choices and living my own life? Because as much as I say I've done the work and I'm yeah. truly sovereign in my choice making, yeah. I look back and I'm like, didn't Vincent Chase move to Mexico? And like, <laughs> shit, like I'm just basically... I'm so confused. <laughs> ...performing Entourage yeah. season seven, you yeah. know, season six. Um, and, and in fact, there was, there's another movie I was in called Goodbye World, which it's a good, it's actually a great movie. And it was great to rewatch during the pandemic because mm. basically there's some, uh, hack on the central digital systems and everything starts to collapse. Society starts to collapse. It's funny how everyone found those movies during the contagion. Like, right. you know, no, it's like true. I was like, I'm going to go back and revisit that. I idea. think in many ways there's this collective uh, death wish. Like yeah. we're all, tr we're all wanting it to happen. We want zombies somehow to be a real thing. I have a friend that says the world's trying to kill us. Like, yeah, mortal no. people like dealing with like real raw stuff like oh, no no you will die yeah, it's and right. it will succeed too yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's right um but the movie uh, is basically my character who created like a off-grid utopia mm. and then the end of the world happens and then everybody wants to live with him and he's like whoa whoa i don't have enough stuff yeah. for everybody that's, i need to watch that yeah it's it's a good one it's good um your project earth speed so um essentially it's it's a cool project it's it's a it's a it's a mini docu-series on kind of like your story developing this land but it's not just that it's not just stories of farming it's you know you have um advisors and developmental people on there and and other like lessons learned it's a really cool like i think kind of introspection into what's going on in your brain and in your world um, but maybe tell some of the stories. I'm interested, you know, I told you that our guys do door-to-door -door sales. So a lot of time, and, and the commissions are really high. People can earn a lot of money, um, you know, doing these solar projects for Great. people. Um, the world, everyone likes the idea of solar, but for some reason, putting the two together, it takes a, a change agent or somebody to come in there and kind of make that process happen. So they get paid really well. Um, and a lot of people look at them and say, Ooh, I want to do what you do. That'd be awesome to, to, you know, to be able to have those resources and means. But then when you look at it, it's like, I knock doors. I meet strangers. I create business out of thin. Do you really want to do that? Cause it rains and it's cold and it's lonely and it's hot and all of these different things. But I've loved, as you've described, like you've said, get your ass handed to you every day out here. I mean, we're outside your ranch right now. Maybe talk about what that's like, because I think everyone likes the idea of like, Oh, there's this handsome Hollywood actor. That's like living off the land. That's cool. And you're like, it's not that cool when, well, and there's a lot of bullshit you know? too. I mean, a lot, a lot of people will um, pay for that Instagram photo. Yeah. You know? Yeah. They'll have their market garden outside yeah. and they'll like take a picture <laughs> of it with the bees. And then meanwhile, like cut, cut to like the bees are brought in yeah. and like placed there. Or there's actually, a real guy that actually handles them behind being like, no, don't do it that way. Just take the picture and get out of here. <laughs> you know? Or, or there's some, you know, homely boyfriend who's just, taking the picture for their like hot Insta, Insta famous girlfriend. I love that he's homely. That makes it perfect. <laughs> anyway. So yeah. What are some tales of the, what it's been like, like in the raw form, like learning how to do this? A lot of self doubt, a lot of, um, re regret or, or questioning shit. What have I done? Did I make the right choice? And how do I get out of this? Because well, people know too. It's not like you just, it's not like you're a quiet guy that went away and yeah. did this. Like people know you're doing so, this. So we have a, um, we're kind of on the main road here and there's this big field out front and I decided that I wanted to plant. It was my, one of my first big projects and it was, it took some, um, decision making to, uh, it, it took some, confidence to decide to do a project this size because I'm totally a beginner and novice. Mm -hmm. But I was going to do a 300 tree um, lumber farm. Right? So I was going to grow um, trees for ultimately for lumber. And the price of lumber was going up. I'm like, mm -hmm. this is great because we need trees to build things and I'm going to grow them and we're going to have lumber here and Maybe we'll make some money out of it too. And so I went out, we 
I was in that field every day watering these trees by hand at first because we didn't have irrigation at the time. So I'd get on my truck, I'd put a huge, big container of water, and I'd go tree to tree to tree, water them, especially in the heat of the summer. I was like every day, morning. And it would take me two or three hours every morning and then fertilize it. And then I had to like take, there's like all this Bermuda grass and all these pokies um, that you, you'd go to weed and then they'd stick in your hand. And so I had big welts and, and blisters and the whole thing. And it was brutal, hot, midsummer. Finally realized why they wear these long, big <laughs> brimmed hats. Yeah. And I was sweating through two or three uh, clothes changes a day. It was brutal. And then one night, went to bed, woke up the next day. I came in and my trees, which were like maybe two feet, were totally decimated. The deer had come in that night and ate, eaten the whole entire 300 oh, trees. Gosh. Yeah. And... I mean, I, I almost yeah. got on my knees and started crying. It yeah. was so painful. And I'd gotten so close to these trees. Sure. And I knew them and I was familiar with them. you had your them. idea of what it was going to be. Right. So I was just so stuck on this vision of it. And then the reality hit. So I failed. And then um, it took me a long time to decide that I was going to get up back on that horse and try again the next year. This time, though, I was going to, you know, have some... Uh, Deer deterrent. Oh, and by the way, I did try uh, all these natural because we don't, you know, we don't want to do anything unnatural here. Yeah. So I use all these natural deer deterrents, uh, you know, fox urine and um, just these different concoctions that you can get online. And and people were recommending that you put Irish Spring soap, or you get human hair and you spread it. All these things. So you're deep. Deep into Deep. it, like researching try, how to how to do it. But what I came came to was to use a hot zone electric fence. And basically, a hot zone electric fence is two is three strings, three lines of electric electrified fence. Two, one at four, like let's say eight inches, and then another at sixteen inches, and then three feet in, you do another one at like twelve inches, and what it does is it creates this optical illusion. And since deer don't have depth perception, they can't tell if it's a big box that they have to jump over. So they'll come up to it. And when they go investigate, they'll get a little electric shock. So I got that. I installed that. And then the next year, planted 300 trees again, tried again. Then... Again, this time by then I had irrigation and I'm like, okay, I'm in the money. This is happening. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, you know, I um, will not be deterred, my friend. I am anti-fragile. And <laughs> so I'm growing them again. And then we had this hit this drought here in Texas. So it's not raining. So um, that's fine. I got irrigation. But what I didn't realize is that the electric fences need moisture in the ground in order to complete the circuit. And I didn't know this. Did you? No, no, I don't know any of this. Exactly. <laughs> How would I know this? Like, so what happens is when, when you, when an animal or someone touches the electric fence, you complete the circuit and it, and it transfers the electricity down through the body of the, of the, the thing into the ground and then it completes the circuit and that's how you get electric electric shock. But if there's no moisture in the ground, then there's no circuit to hit the ground. So because there was no rain, the fence was essentially useless. And also because of the, the drought and it was really hot at night in particular, the trees weren't growing. Anyway, the deers got in, ate my trees again. Jeez. And so I failed twice. And, um, and then I, I hung up my hat on that one. I was like, okay. So like, I got to just take a step back because it was also a huge time suck. Right. But here's the thing. My livelihood, my well-being was not reliant on that tree farm. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm, I, I have a little nest egg. So I could try that, fail twice and be okay. Think about farmers who need to have a yield so that they can eat, so they can feed their family. Their margins are paper thin. They're barely making any money. 
you know, on, on their, on their output. And so of course they're going to, they're going to like reach for the pesticide. Of course they're going to reach for herbicide, chemical fertilizers because it's too expensive to lose. And so they, they, and so Mm. the incentives are there for them to do these things. And then you have all these liberal minded environmentalists from the cities who are like, you shouldn't use that because it's bad for, I'm only going to eat organic or, you know, you shouldn't use chemical fertilizers because of the carbon, whatever, you know, and, and it's just extremely naive and, and it doesn't understand sort of the incentives that they go about it. So I have a, a tremendous respect and I've been humbled and now a deep appreciation for what farmers go through so that I'm not wagging my finger and soapboxing yeah. about how they should be for the environment when I'm not in the, I'm not in the earth. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, that's why another reason why I'm doing this work so that I can speak, uh, I can speak responsibly and I can speak intelligently and through experience what it means to be in the environment as opposed to just a concept that I want to go to the UN and legislate how to save the environment without having that direct experience. One of the thoughts that, that I had that's interesting is you don't have the 300 trees. Well, 600 cause you did it twice, but it's interesting. Thanks, man. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was counting in that 600 all gone to the deers. No. Um, I was also thinking like maybe you had like, like an actor in Hollywood that you used to lose like parts to, and you're like freaking, Matt Damon or whatever. And now it's like those deer, they're your nemesis. But, um, (laughs) the, you become something, right? Like when you're, when you do stuff that's really hard and you don't run from it. And when you, um, when you don't have like your plan B, cause you could say, Oh yeah, I was going to plant some trees, but I kind of wasn't around much. And, you know, I didn't really water them like I should have, but that's okay. Cause I kind of didn't really try You have that excuse. And you know, there's your, almost like your protections or your demons Mm -hmm. or whatever. But when you go for it, there's oh, something. No, I tried hard. Yeah, I'm saying. But when you yeah. go for it, like you earn the respect. Honestly, like you kind of impress yourself. Where it's like, okay, you don't have the trees, but look at what you've been through. Like you're you're so much more um, resilient in many ways, you know. And again, I told you our guys do direct sales, and it's the same thing. Like those guys, a lot of times, are like, well, yeah, I didn't sell one today, but it's a short day, and I had to go home early. So they 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 bring these things around them so that if they fail, it wasn't them. The most successful ones are the ones that are like, Hey, I'm going for this. And if they fail, they fail. It's no big deal, but they're, they're, they're willing to do the work. They're willing to go all the way in. They're willing to be vulnerable. They're willing to whatever the outcome is, you know? And I think, I think that's pretty cool that you went all in at it and you do like when you invest in something like a virtuous cause, whatever that is, if you're fully invested, no matter what the outcome is, you can't help but become something more mm-hmm. through that, you know? Well, also, it would be one thing if I gauged my success on this one thing and this one thing right. only. Yeah. But I am part of, um, you know, of a process of becoming, of getting stronger. And, you know, I, I can speak intelligently about, you know, those trees now. Uh, you know, and right. that's something that I can lean on that experience when I'm doing another project. I become wiser, become, uh, you know, I think more um, capable. My skill. Yeah. yeah and my, my, my success is based on not this project, not the trees alone, but how much I can continue to show up mm-hmm. and, and, try again and and be present and and be willing to make mistakes and learn and you you want to be humble and um forgiving but at the same time know that you know you compare yourself to where you were yesterday and you get better and better and better yeah um i watched a documentary a year or so ago on laird hamilton big wave surfer and um he grew up in Hawaii 
you know, and he's like this towhead blonde kid in Hawaii in like the early seventies. And it was rough to be like a blonde towhead. Yeah. That's, it's a weird word. What is that? Have you never heard towhead? No. blonde? We'll have to look at where it comes from, but like white blonde, like think of like seventies kind of like floppy haired, white blonde, tan skin. That's Larry right. Hamilton. Okay. Towhead. It's got to come I, it from makes somewhere. Sense. I, and, and I actually it know sense. it is towhead. It's one of those words that's okay. like <laughs> confirmation from Jay. Anyway, so it's rough to be a white kid on the North Shore in Hawaii in the 70s. There's a lot of localism and things mm-hmm. like that. He just really didn't fit in. You look at like his school pictures, he's the one that stands out. And um, he struggled like in school. And then he found surfing. And one of the things that he said, and we were talking about this off camera, is that that was one of the most honest environments that he could find. So he was drawn to it. Because if you, if you do something good, you're immediately rewarded with this amazing, like out of this world experience. If you do something bad, you're punished immediately. Mm-hmm. And so he has this quote that says, everyone is the same in front of a wave. The wave doesn't care. Yeah, yeah. Right. So I think of you with like your trees and like your land where it's like the dirt doesn't care what your background is. It's going to mm-hmm. grow if it has the elements to grow and it's not if it doesn't. And so mm-hmm. it's like the thing that I've appreciate about your story is you've allowed yourself to be in a very honest place mm-hmm. where you could have been in places where you got certain perks and you got certain invites and you got certain things because of the work you've done in the past, but you're not in that environment, right? Mm-hmm. You're in an environment that forces you to do it on its terms, yeah. which is pretty awesome. Well, it, you know, it, we have this, um, latent imperialist colonial mentality in which we want to go and, like impose our dominion and our will upon those people or this land. And it's going to be how we want it. And then we mm-hmm. make our cities and we cut them into grids. So mm-hmm. that's all very controlled. And we have this control, you know, instinct, but what, what is it like when you surrender and get into relationship so that it's not all about you and your ego and what you want but it's maybe also about what the earth needs. So you're right. There's that immediate f- feedback. It'll tell you what it needs. Mm-hmm. Um, thirsty, you know, give me water. Or And so really in many ways, we're dancing with nature uh, as, as a farmer, as an apprentice to the earth, dancing and learning it so that we can be in flow with what it needs and when you do, you actually create more abundance and complexity and res- resilience versus the control, which is monocropping, for example, mm-hmm. where you've controlled all the elements and now you have to come in with a lot of um, external inputs like fertilizer and you're depleting the soil every year and you're churning it up. And now your control, your need for control has will ultimately come back to haunt you because you can't ultimately control nature. <laughs> yeah. I listened to a podcast, um, a Joe Rogan podcast with Sadhguru. If you ever heard him and his, that's my man. Yeah. Yeah. So his biggest concern is soil. Like you can't, what are the things you can't make, right? You can't make soil, can't make water. And so he talks about how, and he you talks, can build soil, right? Well, he mm-hmm. talks about how, um, Almost how you have, you're going to know a lot more about this than me, but how you have to treat it in a certain way. And it, it can't just, you can't just build over it and you have to, you have to work it and you have to give it time and all these things. And it was funny for me listening to it because I've never worried about soil once. I'm just not in an environment where I worry about soil, but I should. And it's a part of life. And it's interesting how, you know, kind of back to that original idea is we have all that we need. You just can't exploit it. You have to work with it, right? You can't manipulate it a hundred percent. And I think, I think maybe your story in, in, um, you know, my learning about it is, is explained that way. And like learning how to coexist with the environment that you're in, as opposed to trying to force your, your will on it. Um, one question that I'd have for you, and then I want to talk about the solar experience real quick, but how do you, how did, how does your soul feel now? I mean, you've been in the extreme of, you know, the limelight, and then you've been in a camper alone by yourself. And now you're in what sounds like is a very healthy relationship with yourself, with your wife, with your, with your place. How do you, how do you feel? Where are you at on your journey? I've never felt more on purpose in my life. I um, feel very, very grounded. Uh, I feel, um, I feel at home. Um, I'm not searching, always looking for the next 
thrill, desperately checking my phone for who likes me, you know, who's going to give Such me attention. Such a weird idea, right? Yeah. Um, my wife and I are getting along so well. I, I mean, just love my animals, you know, uh, just things are just really, really great. That's awesome. Um, how does, how does solar play into that? So you made the decision to get solar. You've got energy independence. Just when you think you couldn't feel any better, then you get solar. There you go. Like, now I got solar. <laughs> <laughs> we got the clip. No. Um, but talk me through that decision. I mean, it seems pretty, it seems pretty synonymous with what you're trying to do here, right? It, it seems to me to make sense, but I'd love to hear your thought process and how you found Sunrun and, and, and why you felt like this was a good solution for you. Yeah, I, I've been wanting to have solar here for a long time. Um, it's just been one of those things where you're like, what's the right time to actually give yourself that gift that you know you deserve? Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and yeah, it was just a matter of figuring out uh, the right timing because I, I didn't want to just do all the things um, that would be externally expected i want it to be in line with how we grow so like growing at earth speed growing naturally and with all the other projects happening i just wanted to make sure that i could focus on it and really be a part of it so that i could own that story and be part of that story and, and learn how it was implemented i'm really curious about just having the knowledge not just a lot of times you know people just have it because it's done for them but i really wanted to be a part of that story. Hmm. Yeah, it's awesome. And looking at it from, you know, I stare at solar panels and designs and salespeople and stuff all day, but looking at it on, you know, I know you can't help but notice it when you pull up to the house, right? And you've got the kind of like the shop or the barn or whatever on the side here, but your setup is like, it's beautiful. Primo. Standing seam metal <laughs> roof, 22 kilowatts, three power walls. Yep. Like it's almost like you know, it's almost like two guys looking at a muscle car where you understand like all the components of it. It's awesome. And like talking to you about how you live and things it for, you know, the duration of the system, they're warranted for like 30 years out. This mm -hmm. will provide life and memories and mm -hmm. support in what you're trying to build. I'm really excited for it. And I, it's, it's, you're such an intentional person. I think you'll think about it, right? A lot of people okay. get it up there and they're like, Oh yeah, I guess it is up there, but it, it, it seems to fit in the community that you're building and we're stoked to be associated with, with you in that journey. Yeah. I mean, we intend to be off grid and in fact we are pretty much off grid. Um, but really it, for us, it's about being able to decide how we live and, um, be becoming more sovereign and independent. We have 25 gallon, uh, 25,000 gallons of rainwater catchment. So not only is the solar providing electricity, but, water's coming off of the solar panels mm -hmm. into gutters and into our rainwater catchment. So we have water redundancy, we have energy uh, through, through solar, and we can really sort of start to take full ownership of our quality of life here. It's a beautiful idea. Um, you have a hard cutoff, but... Um, well, can I just say one, yeah. one more thing? Um, and it's not just water and energy. It's also seeds. We're starting to store seeds here. So taking um, seeds from the previous season crops and storing them so that we have seeds for the next season. We're storing lumber. So anytime a tree falls or we, for some reason, have to take one down, we're planing it and cutting it into planks so that we can Use, use that. that to build on, on the land. So I'm always looking at how do we store value in non-monetary ways? Mm -hmm. what, what does it mean to be rich? What does it mean to be wealthy? Is it just cash, money? Is it government-issued bond? What is it? Crypto? <laughs> um, maybe a little bit of all that. Diversify, but also diversify into the things that you actually have use for. Uh, seeds, water, energy, uh, wood, um, all the things that you're going to need in your life. So that's something that we're taking seriously here as well. Yeah, I think it's a great thought. I'm, I'm excited to see over the years what it turns into. I think it, I mean, it's probably already gone through phases, right? But you can't put that much of your heart, soul, time, energy, and effort into a project and not see like exponential 
gains over time. And one of the things that we're working on as a company is we're, we're, we're coming out with lifestyle products that give people more control, that give people more autonomy. And we'd love to talk about those in the future yeah. and things too, as they continue to roll out and be scalable. You're speaking my language. And, and if it doesn't work out, we can always move back to Queens. Yeah. Right. <laughs> There's always Queens. It's not going anywhere. <laughs> um, a couple plugs for some of the projects you're working on for people to look into. So, um, the lonely whale foundation, um, Probably, I'd say check out Earth Speed okay. uh, on, on on all the socials on YouTube and Instagram in particular. Uh, not only are we creating short form content docu docu series, but getting into longer form as well. That's in the pike, um, and then eventually we'll have experiences that you can participate in because we want to get people out yeah. in in the natural world, um, and. That's really the, my main focus right now. But also check out Worldview. I'm a chief earth advocate of a space tourism company. Uh, so using technology not to leave earth and escape, but to actually look back and reflect upon our, our experience here on this planet. Um, yeah. DuContra is my in, in investment firm, so it's impact investing. So we're actually investing in businesses that promote human flourishing through health and wellness, through financial tools of equity and access, um, through communitas, which um, opportunities for people to collaborate or connect and come together. Better for you, better for the planet, products and consumer goods. Um, yeah, I've got a couple of things that are sort of related and, and, and support each other, but you know, distinct. It's funny how, like, I had this thought when I was driving over here this morning, um, you know, you kind of left a world that you knew that you built in to come to this one, but I can't help but think, like, even from all of the things that you're, um, you know, spending your time and energy on now, I bet it'll become bigger and bigger and bigger. Like, when you put your heart into something like that, you can't help but be successful in whatever, like, your definition of success is, but I think because when you, you know, are on purpose, as you said, People are attracted to that. They come into it. I'll bet a lot of these projects will be as big as you want them to be. Just Thank because you. they're, well, they're virtuous endeavors, right? And when, when you put energy behind that, they, they just grow, you know? Interesting. Um, and we'd love to be a part of any kind of experiences. We, you know, um, oceans are a big thing for us. We've had people on the podcast that do, you know, um, ocean work, that do reef work, that do, uh, we do things with water. We do things with communities that need light and energy. And so, a lot of opportunities to collaborate in the future. I appreciate that you're a like-minded, intentional Absolutely. person. Absolutely, we'll, we'll be we'll be in touch, and we'll be working towards all the lofty goals. Let's do it. Yeah. Well, thank you for your time today, and thank you guys. This has been another episode of Electric People. If you're listening to this and interested in joining our teams, DM us on Instagram at Run the League. What are you waiting for? Run the league. Shoot us a DM and let's get going.